0: By now, all of you have no doubt discovered the, our friends, the most difficult energies in practice, the hindrances, and they're called hindrances because they hinder our awareness, they block our awareness, they prevent us from being able to be present. And these hindrances are the most difficult experiences we deal with during the day. The most uh, unpleasant, the most difficult, the most tenacious. And sometimes we can fall into believing that our whole practice is just dealing with restlessness or just struggling with sleepiness or just you know this uh, cloud of doubt that's hanging over our head. And some retreats can be quite uh, focused around one of these difficult energies to the mind. One understanding that's helpful in working with the most difficult stuff that we come up with is these patterns of thought in the mind are habits, they're mental habits. They are deeply conditioned. We have uh, responded to the conditions of our life in uh, certain ways. We, we've been taught, really, we've been conditioned, we've been trained to meet uh, unpleasantness with some sort of aversion, dislike, frustration, disappointment, anger, hatred. We've been taught to relate to pleasant experiences with desire, clinging, wanting, seeking after. We've been taught in condition to respond to the multiplicity of choices we have in our life by doubt, skepticism, wondering, bewilderment, and so we've learned these habits, and by now they are—they uh, have a life of their own. They're really powerful, and they—they they can be tenacious uh, tendencies in the mind. A helpful understanding is, if they are conditioned into the mind, uh, they can be conditioned out of the mind, or they can be deconditioned. And so if you just reflect on how many times you have responded to something pleasant with desire, you know, 100,000 times or 200,000 times, then it might take that many times of noting it and not responding to pleasantness with desire before we actually unplug from that or decondition that habit. It might not take an equal amount of time, but it might seem like it. (laughs) This practice, as we It's funny. It's like we're just minding our own business. You know, we just we just want to come to a nice quiet place in the country and just, you know, just settle in and be relaxed and just just do nothing. And everything is here to support us except our mind. <laughs> and and it's like somebody invited this <laughs> tormentor to come with us. And that's a helpful understanding too. These tormenting qualities of mind are really just visitors. They're not who and what we are in our core or in our essence or or at rock bottom they're not our deep rooted self if there is such a thing they're just a, an adventitious uh, visitor that comes drifting to the mind and some visitors can be pretty persistent. You know, once they get their foot in the door, they can really, you know, make themselves to home. But it's our task to tactfully ask them to leave. So tonight I want to talk about how to disinvite these uh, visitors to our mind. But because these reactive patterns are so strong and so much feel like a part of our personality. I mean, last night Kamala was talking about, you know, the aversive personality type. And so, for myself, when aversion or any form of it comes up in my experience, I just say, true to form, Mr. Aversion, and uh, it's my, you know, seemingly deep personality structure, but it's only been conditioned in there, and it can be seen, and seen through, and let go of, but because it's so much a part of myself, I discover, as most of you discover, that it is challenging we really have to stretch ourselves. We really have to arouse energy in ourself, uh, change our belief about ourselves in order to work with these very deep-rooted habits and patterns. And so we need to approach these difficult energies in practice with a lot of patience. We really, we can't stress it enough that every time, you know, your favorite hindrance appears, be patient. You know, really watch that judgment that wants to jump in there and say, I'll never get rid of this, I'll never see through this, this is always been my man. Because They're strong, and so we need patience in dealing with what seems to be a very deep part of ourselves. We also need a lot of persistence. We just have to be willing to be there and meet that sleepiness, that dullness, every time it appears, or that desire. Every time it appears, we have to be persistent enough to just say, Okay, I see you. We'll just wait it out. And to not be defeated or frustrated or uh, not to succumb, to give up. It's also essential, along with patience, to be alert for the critical judging mind that wants to judge ourselves and our practice by this moment's experience and so this moment happens to be one of struggling with sleepiness and so we the tendency is that I'm I'm such a lazy person, I'm always exhausted, I'm so tired." And we we take a momentary experience, we personalize it, and then we globalize it. And we make it permanent. It's just like, I'm sleepy this moment, I'm always sleepy. Or, you know, I've got a lot of restlessness in this moment, I'm always restless on retreat. It's not true. But there's a strong tendency to take a momentary experience of difficulty personalize it to oneself and then uh, extend it or perm- make it try to make it permanent and when we do that if we're if we're dealing with I'm always restless that's a formidable and oppressive belief about ourself where a recognition of restlessness in this moment is workable it's manageable so be alert for that tendency in the mind to generalize, to globalize, to personalize, to make it into something permanent and fixed. These, These hindrances are all only temporary experiences. They come. They may come repeatedly, they may come insistently, but they are impermanent. And that's one of the keys to working with all of these difficult energies in the mind, is to see when they're not present. And to do that, we have to uh, acknowledge those times in our practice when we're alert, when we're not sleepy, when we're calm, when we're not restless, when we feel at ease, content not desiring something else what is sometimes difficult to notice are these times when practice is not a struggle you know we get we get we get used to Practice is a struggle. You know, it's like uh, arousing ourselves, get the energy going, and dealing with sleepiness, restlessness, and aversion, and desire, and confusion, doubt. And so, you know, after the first dozen or so retreats, you know, we really, we really know practice is a struggle. And then, you know, on the thirteenth retreat, or maybe it's the thirteenth day, or maybe it's the thirteenth hour of sitting, you sit down, and uh, you kind of uh, you fall into this place where nothing's happening we don't recognize what 's happening because we 're not struggling, but what 's actually happening what may actually be happening is you know there's a little bit of tranquillity in the body, a little bit of peace and contentment in the mind, a little clarity and alertness, a little balance non reactivity, but we just kind of uh, overlook it. It's not dramatic enough. It's not a struggle. It's not, you know, beating us over the head. It's kind of just there in the background. And so we, one way of really working with these difficult energies is to recognize when they're not present. So that we begin to value those times which we often just dismiss as nothing's happening. In fact, a lot's happening. The Buddha's teaching and his teaching for how to work with these difficult energies in the mind is not merely pointing to how to be comfortable in our life, how to, be, um, how to just get it together to feel good. The Buddhist teaching is really pointing to something much more profound and much deeper than just feel-goodism. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that because there are these challenges in practice that don't feel good, that are very difficult. And if we dismiss them, not deal with them, not really confront them and work with them. We might just avoid them, deny them, go around them, put practice off until they have gone away, until we're no longer sleepy, and then we'll come back to practice. That's that's not really dealing with them, that's just avoiding and, and putting them aside. And so we need to really have that patience, persistence. and a clear understanding of what we're doing here, what our motivation, what our intention is, to see the conditions in the mind that lead to unhappiness. To see through them, put them aside, work with them, let go of them, in order to arrive at that. Quality of mind, that quality of heart, that state of being, that understanding of peace, being able to be with anything, no matter what arises in our experience, and to be at ease with that, to not be strung out, to not be defeated, to not be uh, overcome by it. And so you know, the battleground or the the testing ground, the proving ground is the hindrances. Another reality about these hindrances that is helpful to acknowledge is they come at every stage of practice. If you're a beginner, of course, you really experience them loud and clear. If you're one instant away from perfect enlightenment, they still appear. And everywhere in between. And so, no matter what level of practice you might think you're at, they come. If your practice is really just just getting going the hindrances are about at that level it really grows really obvious really demanding if your practice is subtle and you settle into some good momentum clarity, stillness, openness the hindrances are that subtle subtle sleepiness subtle restlessness, subtle desire and so we have to refine our antenna, refine our uh, vision and awareness of how these difficult energies manifest in the different stages of practice or with different degrees of concentration, balance, energy. know, or I'll remind you, the difficult energies, the most common difficult energies, sleepiness, doubt or confusion of one sort or another, aversion in all of its forms, including anger, hatred, resistance, frustration, disappointment, fear, jealousy, envy, all forms of aversion, withdrawing from experience, restlessness, any type of agitation, anxiety, restlessness, um, inability to be settled, and then desire, the wanting mind, the, the mind that says if only, fill in the blanks, if only the it was cooler or warmer or a softer cushion or a shorter sitting or quieter or a better meal or this or that or more cookies or less cookies. If only, then, dot, 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 happily ever after. That's the wanting mind. They're conditioned. They can be deconditioned. We don't need to personalize them. They are impersonal, impermanent phenomena that appear and can be seen and worked with in that way. They act like filters on the mind. It's like putting on lenses, you know, the aversion lenses. You put them on, whatever you see, you see the unpleasant aspect of, and you develop some sort of aversion to it. You take off your aversion lenses, and you put on desire lenses, and whatever you see, you see the pleasant aspect of it, and you say, hmm, I need that, I want that, i got to have it. I can't live without it. <laughs> but when those lenses come off, and you look at that thing again, you think, what was all that about? What was so compelling and so so urgent about needing, wanting, must-have that. Our task is to, to see these lenses, to recognize when they start seeping into the mind and not being fooled by them, not being tricked by them, not being seduced, by them. All of these difficult energies in the mind come or are rooted in delusion, which means when we don't see things as they really are, then we can relate to them through one of these lenses. But when we see things as they are, the hindrances or the delusion does not arise. This gives us a key or a clue as to how to work with these hindrances, how to work with these difficult states of mind. Because whenever they arise, we can be sure we're not seeing things clearly. And so the, the movement in our practice should be to see things a little more clearly. And to do that, we need to arouse this quality of investigation. Investigation I mean in terms of refining our attention getting closer to this moment's experience by just um, gently bringing more energy to just be with this particular experience. Not not believing our thoughts and our judgments about this experience, but putting that aside and saying, okay, what is really going on here? I think I'm sleepy. I feel dull and I feel... uh, can't get it together. And so we say, oh, I don't sleep here. I say, oh, I better take a nap. You know, it's just 8 or, or it's, you know, it's 8.30, the talk's over. I not really say I better. I had this experience in my recent retreat at the Meditation Center in Massachusetts. There are two times a day I've, during this retreat when I would start to feel dull and sleepy and just kind of lose, lose energy and interest. One was right after breakfast, and I don't know if it was because I so much enjoyed indulging in the taste of breakfast and then I just lost it. And the other time was later in the evening, sometime eight thirty, nine thirty, and I would feel sometimes very, uh, very weak. Weak physically, weak mentally, uh, just dull. Uh, sometimes my mind was really chaotic, just couldn't... Uh, I just couldn't couldn't really focus on it just couldn't seem to get it together and I would inevitably say, jeez, I better take a nap. (laughs) Just a short one, (laughs) just a little, I'll set my timer. And I tried that of course a few times and the, the buzzer would go off and I'd shut it off and I'd sleep through, but after a while I started to realize I'm not really tired. There's something else going on here. What is it?" And I remember one time in particular, there was you know, 8 o'clock or 8.30 at night, 9 o'clock, something. I was just feeling totally uh, drained. The energy was just, there was just not a drop of energy in the body. And I, I couldn't sit. And uh, I knew if I laid down, it was over. So I forced myself to get up and walk. And I just paced wildly for a while, just trying to get some energy going. And that, that really wasn't <laughs> where I was at. Moving fast was not what was needed particularly. But it got me out of the bed anyway. And so I was pacing back and forth. And then it just came to me to, to, to really look at what is going on here? because it was just it was so i was so distracted i was so it was so chaotic i just i couldn't recognize anything it was just i don't know it was just crazy and so i just kept walking at that pace and just started noting or labeling what my actual experience was actually what what is what is this thing you know and over the course of fifteen or twenty minutes, cataloged the physical and mental experiences that came up. You know, certain sensations in the legs and certain wooziness in the head, certain thoughts about, I really want to go to bed, I really want to take a nap. And after fifteen or twenty minutes of just putting that note on those experiences, then it, it somehow it just seemed to all get aligned and the energy started moving in one direction. And that chaotic, de-energized, sleepy, dull state of mind was gone. It It just went. Not because I took a nap, not because I resisted it or figured it out or anything. I just paid attention. Closer. Very close investigation of what is actually going on. What is this thing? So when you find yourself caught in some very difficult state of mind, and it may not be sleepiness for you, it may be restlessness, or desire, or aversion, or frustration, or who knows what, whatever it is, just ask yourself, what really is this experience? What can I actually feel and know directly about this experience, without believing your, your first choice? I'm tired, I'm restless, I can't do this, whatever. So investigation helps to uproot the delusion, the unclear seeing, which um, allows these hindrances to proliferate. These hindrances are all also accompanied by restlessness. The mind that will not settle down. It's it's obvious with restlessness, there's restlessness. With desire too, the mind is restless. With aversion, the mind is restless. It's just kind of hovering and agitating and, and just can't or won't be with this experience. And so one, this also gives us a key or a clue as to how to work with these, um, all of these difficulties. And that is to First of all, steady our attention on them by acknowledging what this experience is. Just, just to recognize even, oh, this is sleepiness. Sometimes it's, we can be totally immersed in one of these difficulties and not recognize it. We can be totally lost in aversion just dwelling over and over again in some very aversive reaction to something that's unpleasant or hurtful in our life and not create that little bit of space that can say this is frustration, this is disappointment, this is uh, anger. And just by doing that, just by being able to recognize this state of mind it gives us a little space and it it lands it it puts our attention squarely directly on this experience it slows down the restlessness so to speak it stops it for a moment just oh, this is what it is and it may spin us out the next instant you know it just has a lot of momentum and we're back to being averse, or whatever, but in that instant we just settle on to and acknowledge to ourselves this this, uh, experience. Maybe the most difficult thing to do with any of these hindrances and difficult visitors to the mind is to sit still. There is this tremendous urgency, often, to act them out. You know, you feel aversion to somebody. Here, something happened in the retreat. You know, got in front of you in the line, or you know, uh, something. You know, if and you feel this 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 aversion, this anger, this irritation. You know, the first thing we do is think of writing them a note. It on the board. Meta. <laughs> May you be happy. <laughs> Don't do it again. And we, we feel that that's, I mean, that's the immediate response to just get rid of it. Get rid of our irritation. Pin it on the board. Or to act out what else? Uh, Doubt. Doubt arises in the mind. We're looking around and we see, uh, we see other yogis doing what appears to be some other kind of practice. Now they're walking slow. We're walking fast. Or we were walking slow, thinking that's what we're supposed to do, and we see them walking fast, and we think, hmm, I wonder, uh, geez, maybe I should be doing that. Uh, um, hmm. I wonder what happens if I walk fast and. What if I went for a bike ride down the road, and uh, you know? What if I went in the garden and played with the chickens, and you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's like maybe that's good practice. And so we we get this wavering in our mind. We get this. Hey, I wonder. Um, I mean, there's a certain level of dissatisfaction with our own practice, but it comes up with speculations and, and questions. Gee, I wonder if. Mm-hmm. And this can be a um supreme challenge for those of us who have very active minds for those of us who have a lot of either use our minds a lot or just really have a lot of questioning and uh, speculation and ruminating that type of activity comes up like full in full bloom on retreat because Of course, there's nothing else to do (laughs) but think. And so, we find ourselves sitting with this urgent need to have this question answered. What do we do? Write it up to the teacher. (laughs) Do another word. Can you answer this? Can you explain this? Can you give me the title of this talk, this poem, this, this, that, whatever? It's a way of dissipating, getting rid of the discomfort of that doubt, that anxiety. What is really called for at that time? And this is where the Buddhist teaching is different than a lot of teaching. I mean, most people say, you got a question? Ask it. Go get the answer. Figure it out. Find the answer. Find somebody who knows the answer. Read the book. Ask the question. <laughs> The Buddha's teaching says, pay attention to what's actually happening. What's actually happening? Doubt is happening. What's it feel like? What does that indecision feel like in the body? We know what's happening in the mind, spinning out, speculating, you know, all that. The Buddha's teaching says, turn around and take a look at it. Don't act it out but see for yourself if you can come to a place of peace with it. Can you be with that feeling, that experience of doubt, and be at ease with it? We experience doubt, I mean, that that quality of not knowing, wanting to know, indecision, uh, should I, shouldn't I, will it, won't it, that is really an unpleasant feeling. I mean, it is very unpleasant to have to sit with that. In fact, we think, I can't practice. I mean, the feeling is, I can't do this until I know the answer. Is this the right practice for me right now? Who can tell you? No, nobody. I, I certainly can't. And to act it out won't get you the answer. Only by turning your attention to it, that actual experience of doubt, are you going to know what doubt is and how to, re- how to really come to terms with it, how to be with it, how to come to some peace with it. Each of these entrances, each of these difficult visitors and qualities of heart and mind has its own characteristic, called its sabhava. It's how we experience doubt. That indecision, the wavering in the mind, that particular feeling in the body that is peculiar to doubt. The quality of mind and the particular feeling in the body of aversion is different than that for doubt. They each have their own distinctive, what would you call it? Uh, Something like fingerprint. They have their own identity. Pardon? Identity. Identity. They got their own identity. They got their own distinctive mark. That's really what it is. The sabhava is the distinctive mark of each of these states of mind. And so when we investigate, when we turn our mind, turn our attention to investigate these difficult things, we actually are uh, mapping, discovering and mapping the distinctive pattern of physical and mental stuff which makes up this experience of aversion, desire, restlessness, sleepiness, doubt. So we know that the we, we know if I ask you, what is the experience of sleepiness and, 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 and uh, sloth and torpor? Oh, it's when the body feels heavy, numb, the mind feels like it's in a fog, can't think straight, you're doing your walking, your eyes are cross eyed, you know, and you just you just can't keep your balance very good. These are experiences, Th- those are the, the distinctive marks of. Sleepiness. So then, what, what is the uh, distinctive mark of doubt? The, the distinctive mark of doubt is this speculation in the mind. The mind starts, should I, shouldn't I, will I, won't I, can it, can't it, da-da-da. There's this kind of, there's always this two-sidedness in doubt. And in the body, what does doubt feel like? I don't know. We'll have to map it out tomorrow, when we, whenever we feel that quality of mind. So these difficult energies are rooted in delusion, not seeing things clearly. The key or the clue to working with them is to investigate, to really refine our attention on the direct momentary experience of them. They're all accompanied by restlessness. Helpful to just sit still, not act them out. And thirdly, each of these hindrances is always in relationship to I, to me. I am sleepy. I doubt. I'm angry. And that reflective quality of these hindrances fixes a sense of ourself quite solidly. When we personalize those hindrances, we fix a sense of ourself. I am so angry, you... whatever. And it makes it very difficult to see that anger... It's just another impersonal mental state that arises due to its own conditions. We don't make it happen. We can't stop it from happening. We can only be with it, see through it, and in time not get caught by it. It's important to have some restraint to not act out these hindrances as they arise and to to really work with you know, being with them. So I've mentioned sleepiness, doubt, aversion. I've acknowledged that aversion in one of its forms arises when we are unable to be with experience and instead turn away from it. When we want to Withdraw from whatever the experience is that's arising, because the experience is unpleasant. Usually, I had a good example of this at the uh, at the retreat recently. Uh, when I went, I was there for I was going to be there for about four and a half weeks in silence. And at the meditation center in Massachusetts, there are there's there's not always retreats happening but it's like here there's you know 100 people come for 5 days and then you got 4 days with nobody there and then you know 60 people come for a weekend and then you got 5 days without anybody and then you got 75 people come for 10 days and then there's nobody for a while and so there's there's great fluctuations in the uh, population and there's a staff of 15 or 20 and you know visitors and hangers-oners and guests and teachers and things so there's sometimes a lot of people and sometimes not so many well the first when i first got there to start my retreat there was a 5-day retreat starting that had about 60 or 70 people in it and like here there they also have a list of yogi jobs and here's this list of, you know, so many dozen yogi jobs doing the floors and the bathrooms and chopping vegetables and cleaning the pots and pans and dishes and, you know, just like here. And so I looked at the list and I said, there's 60 other yogis here. I guess I'll just uh, take my teacher's privilege and not sign up. So I didn't. And. Uh, Four or five days went by, and all those people left, and then they put up this new list of yogi jobs because all those people had left. And it's the skeleton crew, you know, the essential jobs that have to be done, even when there's no retreat going on. You know, there's a few things. You know, the dishes got to be washed, the pots got to be washed, the food's got to be put out. Da, 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 da. So uh, there was just about as many slots as there were yogis. <laughs> so I looked at that and said. Uh, gee, this is the only time I've got to practice all year. I probably don't have to sign up. And besides, I'm a teacher, you know, and, you know, somebody important like me (laughs) shouldn't have to do a job like that. Um, I'll just uh, avoid it. And, of course, my conscience uh, wouldn't let me. So I went back and I looked at the list. I tried to figure out the job that was going to take the shortest amount of time, (laughs) have the least involvement with anybody else, and be the most pleasant. I didn't recognize all this aversion going on in the mind. It's just like, I did not want to do a job. I just didn't. I just had all sorts of aversion and reasons and justification and whatever not to put my name on that list. And nobody came after me. I mean, the person responsible for you know getting those jobs filled, he, he's probably not going to come after somebody who teaches the. <laughs> so <laughs> I felt like, well, I could get away with it if I really wanted to, but something prevailed on me, and I went put my name on the list initially for doing a kitchen job. And I went and got the instructions for the kitchen job. Oh, my goodness. You had to think. (laughs) You had to think how much of this to put out and how to put it away. And I I just said, oh, this is too too much. This is too complicated. Let me go find another job. So I went back and I got the dishwashing job. The dishwashing job is, you know, everybody brings their dirty plates to one place and sets them down. And you take all the dirty plates, you put them in these racks, and you send them through the machine. It takes about 30 seconds and you unload them and you put another rack through and you unload them. All in all, you can do a whole day's worth of dishes in less than an hour. And I thought, this is going to be a big distraction to my practice and uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, those thoughts that go through your mind when you see that list. And I found it was just the opposite. I really enjoyed doing the dishes. It was, it was uh, a relief from sitting and walking. (laughs) First, and secondly, the unexpected thing was, I felt like such a a valuable part of the community. I felt like I'm doing something to support all these other people being here—the few yogis, all the other the teachers and the staff that are there—and I got a lot of. It brought me a lot of joy, actually to do the dishes. Totally unexpected uh, that that was going to be the result or the effect. I had so much resistance. Have you ever noticed how thinking about something is almost always worse than actually doing it? We can have so much fear, so much resistance, so much anxiety. And we just go through and do it and it's like, what was the problem? You know? Our mind created some sense of ourself that it got stuck in. Um, this is I'm a yogi, I'm on retreat, I shouldn't be involved in activity or I'm a teacher, I'm, you know, for whatever reason, I should have, you know, privilege here if we can see through that smokescreen of that sense of ourself, no problem. Be careful about getting caught and locked into the sense of yourself that gets constructed when these hindrances appear. Being careful not to solidify around, you know, the desire, the aversion, the doubt—that's not who you are. It is a temporary experience, come due to its own conditions. Momentarily, we get identified with it. And if we work with it, if we really engage our attention and work with it, we can see through that smoke screen of whatever it is, and that sense of ourself that was constructed, and be free. It's just, but it takes being there in the moment for the actual experience, the actual direct contact with this aversion, this sleepiness, this doubt, this restlessness. restlessness too is maybe maybe the most unpleasant of the hindrances in one way of understanding restlessness is it's something like excess energy or energy that's not all going in one direction. I recognize restlessness in myself when I just feel in a panic, or I feel anxious, or I feel like um, I gotta do something, but I don't know what. And it came in practice, for sure, um, when I was recently on retreat. and. There was a couple of times when I would just get in this uh, very agitated, physically and mentally, very agitated state of mind, and just couldn't sit, couldn't walk, couldn't do anything, couldn't not do anything. Just felt totally, actually, just paralyzed with excess energy. And you know, I'd. I wouldn't recognize it until I'd find myself just pacing outside, just like running up and down the garden along the path along the garden, or something I'd realize well, I'm not aware of anything. I am just completely oblivious to what's actually going on. I'm moving and walking and doing it, but I'm out of it. And one time I remember I was out there pacing and just I wasn't happy pacing, but I, it, I certainly wasn't happy doing anything else either. And I decided to go back to my room. Now my room was just this little cubby hole, and most <coughs> of the time I sit on a cushion like this. But I had a chair in my room, and I knew I couldn't sit on the cushion, and I knew I couldn't lay down, so I sat in the chair. And I was looking out my window which was into a little something like a little courtyard there was a a lawn some gardens and flowers and all the trees were in full bloom during the month of May it was gorgeous there which was fantastic Um, and so I just was just looking out on this uh, little courtyard and I don't know if it was the stillness of sitting or the immobility of that courtyard, but it didn't take long. I mean, I sat down with a ter- terribly agitated state of mind, and it just, at some point, just it seemed like in an instant the mind just got there. It just got there and just saw, oh, that's what it is. It wasn't like I had to, to control it or fix it or uh, act it out or, or investigate it it's just like stop just stop and then you see oh there it is and in and, and the mind just I don't know, just dropped into or the attention just dropped into this moment stop being restless a lot of energy you know just really clear and open and just seeing things as they are but While I was wildly pacing, no awareness. Stand still, and it comes. Because restlessness is so unpleasant physically, I always or often suggest that people find a very comfortable posture when they feel restless. And it might be standing, or it might be just sitting in a in a a chair, or sitting in some ways that is really comfortable, and then sitting still or standing still. Not kind of contracting around it or holding it in, but just letting your body or letting the energy in your body just be restless, and uh, it has a powerful effect to just sit still. So when you feel restless, when you find yourself pacing and anxious, and the least desirable thing to do is to sit still, do it, just, just sit still. And you watch how the energy just by itself comes into some alignment and settles down. Last hindrance or difficult state of mind I want to speak about is desire, craving, clinging, the wanting mind, attachment. And sure enough, found some of that too on my retreat. <laughs> Lots. And I always have been in the habit of um, suggesting to uh, students whenever you find any of these hindrances really raging in the mind, turn your attention to the body and see how it feels. How does anger feel in the body? How does restlessness feel in the body? How does sleepiness feel in the body? Because the, the, the physical manifestation of these difficult energies, mental energies, is really quite dramatic, often. And so so too with desire and wanting and the craving mind. So I said, okay, and here I am. i got this outrageous fantasy going. It's been going all day. How am I going to work with it now? I've tried everything. Well, maybe I should see what it feels like in the body. And I turned my attention to the body, and the body is absolutely empty. There's no sensations. It's, it's still. It's calm. There's nothing rippling in the body. And I had this dramatic realization that maybe I haven't been offering very helpful instructions. (laughs) It's like, oops. And I realized, it seems so obvious, but I realized that these hindrances are a mental game. Desire is a mental phenomena, and it might not be displayed in the body at all. And so I had lots of opportunity for just this really calm, really still, un- unagitated body, really comfortable, and the mind just going nuts, just this outrageous fantasies and desires. I gotta have this. I want to do that. And na 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 na. It's just on and on and on. I tried everything but it was always with the hope that it would go away Mm -hmm. finally i just had to give up and say let the movie roll (laughs) and just watch it go and honest i i must confess and this is not a claim to fame this is just a, a really sometimes that these these it would seem to last for an hour an hour and a half same, just, just going on and on and on and on and on. And then, somehow, I would just be there with it, just like, okay, 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 I got it right. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And at some point, of course, like everything else, it would dissipate and pass away. We can be with these very unpleasant things. Just be with them. I mean I know it sounds it just just be with desire as it plays out in the mind and in time you will see it is impermanent it does dissipate and much to our surprise at the end of it you may feel wasted you may feel totally drained you may feel but you then look at that thing, that person, that event, that behavior that was so compelling, and you think, what in the world was I thinking of? What was I? At the end of the retreat, I, of course, I, I had tried the, I'll do that later, I'll get that later, I'll you know, try the putting it aside briefly. And so I thought, boy, come the end of the retreat, I'm going to be, I've got some things to do. <laughs> you know, I've got some things to get, and some, some acting out. You know, at the end of the retreat, it's not there. It's not like you've got this little bag full of desires that you've got to go fulfill. You see them, you're with them, they pass away, that's it. Gone. We don't have to act them out. We don't have to go fulfill ourselves, satisfy ourselves. But it takes just being with these, the unpleasantness. I'm not saying it's pleasant, it's really unpleasant. All of them feel very unpleasant. But don't be afraid. Have the uh, determination, have the patience, have the courage to, okay, here it is, let me be with it. I guarantee at the end of the retreat, it won't be there. It might be there for a whole day, two days, or you might think it is, but it won't last forever. And if we can see the truth of the impermanence of these unpleasant states of mind, it gives us tremendous strength for the next time they appear. We just say, i seen you. I've been through that before. I can go through it again. So be alert for how you're uh, engaging or disengaging from these difficult states of mind. Accept the challenge of investigating, not acting out, and really coming to uh, understand the true nature, the sabhava, the personal identity of each of these difficult states of mind. And in the process, you'll see that they, they, they do gradually weaken and lessen and we don't get hooked or caught so quickly, so strongly, nor for so long.